We're looking at the bad habits of Jesus. Those things that Jesus did that did not fit within the norms and customs of his day or fit within our customs. Last week I talked about how Jesus spit in three miracles. He spit. And uh, I grossed a few people out. I'm sorry if that was you. But it's Jesus' story, not me. Um, I didn't write it. And today we're looking at how Jesus appeared wasteful. How many of you were taught when you were younger not to waste things? You, were, you weren't supposed to waste things. You weren't supposed to break things. You were supposed to eat what was on your plate. Everybody remember that? You know, you took it. You got to eat it. After all, there are children in Africa that are starving that would be happy to have the things on your plate. I remember telling my mother once that I would be happy to ship my green beans over there if it would help someone in need. Um, my, uh, my kindness was not well received. In fact, waste is something only really the rich do, and they do it absorbently, right? You, you do it to kind of show, look how wealthy I am. I can waste all this money and have all these cars and throw all these big parties. But most of us, we were taught not to waste. Now, Jesus does not think hoarding or uh, getting wealthy at the expense of other people is to be celebrated. He does say that you shouldn't build bigger barns and keep all this stuff because after all, you can't take it with you. But I do think that Jesus, in his actions and in his stories, appears kind of wasteful at times. He creates a lot, shares a lot, and actually wastes a lot, a lot that doesn't need to have to happen the way it does. Let's start with the first miracle that he does. And when John chapter 2, John chapter 2, and in John chapter 2, Jesus is pretty over the top and he's pretty wasteful. He's at a wedding with his mom, probably a family wedding, and the wedding host runs out of wine. Let me read the story. On the third day, there was a wedding at, at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, which is not a derogatory or a rude term, it's not what I call my wife, but in the way he uses it here is just a, a, a name of address. So, woman, what, have, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the, rich, for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Then he said, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn, it, drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first when people have drunk freely. Then the poor one, but you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. See, America did not, big, did not invent the big blowout wedding. In the first century, when you had a wedding, it was a multi-day, like a week-long affair. And everybody came in and uh, partied, and they ate and they drank all through the week to celebrate with the couple. People from neighboring towns would come. The whole town would be invited. 
And what you would do is you would start with your best wine, because then everybody is kind of with it. But after a few days of drinking and partying, nobody really cares about the wine. Okay? After a couple beers, you don't really care about the fourth beer and what it tastes like. Okay? So that's the idea. You serve the good wine first, and as the, day, as the week goes along, you, you serve the, uh, the bad wine. Okay? You serve cheap wine by then, because nobody really cares. Now, some people would also have gone home early or had to get back for things, and uh, nobody's picky at that point in the week. This is probably a family wedding for Jesus and Mary, and for the, the, the party to run out of wine would have been a sign of disrespect and a lack of planning on the part of the family who had, was supposed to have gotten enough wine for the whole event. Furthermore, this is also a problem for the couple. In those days, all the extra wine would be auctioned off at the end of the week. So any wine you had left would be auctioned off and people would take it home uh, for themselves. And that money was often given to the couple as a gift for their wedding. So when there's no wine and the party's still going on, we've got a problem. We're going to have a bunch, a bunch of angry people. Okay, we're going to have a, an embarrassed host and we're going to have a couple that doesn't get this wonderful gift at the end of the celebration. So Jesus listens to his mother, and he helps out with the problem and makes wine. And he makes lots of it. So let me do some math for you. Six jars, 20 to 30 gallons in each. That's 120 to 180 gallons of water, about, 60, uh, about 680 liters to put this miracle in perspective, Jesus probably creates about two full pallets of wine. In other words, when you do the math, about 906 bottles of wine, Jesus makes this miracle. Okay? 906 bottles. Jesus does not just make wine. You understand that? He makes the wine section of wine and spirits. He makes a ton of wine, and it's fantastic wine. Everyone's so impressed. What do you mean you you save the best wine for last? I wish I could try a little bit of Jesus' vintage 30 AD wine. Must have been the best wine ever made. He must have made the host look amazing. Must have been a wonderfully huge gift for that couple. Because all those people that are going home, there's all this extra wine. People are going to buy the best wine to take home. Now he's really made a blessing for this couple, you understand? This is extravagant. The wedding did not need near that much wine, and it didn't need near that good a wine. Why would you make so much extra wine? Why would you make such good wine? Jesus here goes above and beyond what the situation requires. There's this other time where Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children. They were all sitting on a hillside listening to him. He took five loaves and two fish and he fed the whole crowd. And the disciples are sitting there like, Jesus, there's five loaves and two fish. I start doing the math here. We're feeding like 10 people. We're not feeding thousands of people. But they pass out the food anyway and end up picking back up 12 baskets of food. Okay? Have you ever had way too much food? You ever, you ever done this? You make something. I'm not just talking about, I got a little leftover lasagna for tomorrow. I mean, you have a graduation party and you end up taking home two extra trays of ZD and you eat ZD for like five days until you can't even see ZD for years 
because you're so tired of it. You ever, you ever had a party and you just got way too much, you get sick of it? Jesus feeds all these people. There's 12 baskets left over. If the disciples think there's not enough food, Jesus plans the other way. Jesus is the guy that would have far too much food that um, would just blow a party up. Okay, that's Jesus. Way too much food. Way too much food. Way more than is even necessary for this crowd of people. Think about the stories that Jesus told. Remember the parable of the prodigal son? Son goes to a far off land and blows his inheritance. And when he returns, the father throws a party for the whole neighborhood. He kills the fatted calf. If you, feel that if you kill the fatted calf, that means everybody's invited. We're blowing this thing up. And the party is so big that the son in the field can hear it. If you read the story, the son in the field can actually hear the party. The elder brother has a strong case to be made. Not only is this an extravagant party for someone who disrespected you and spent all his money, but as an elder brother, it's my money that you're spending on this calf, right? It's my money that you're spending on the party. This is all my inheritance. And for you to blow all this means you're blowing my side of it. This is not just a family dinner. It's wasteful to have a party like that for a son that's so disrespected you. In one of the most wasteful stories I've ever heard, Jesus talks about a sower who seems to sow the land all over the place. He sows the path that is hard and the birds eat the seed. He sows among the rocks and the plants can't grow. He sows among the weeds and the weeds choke out the new plants. And finally, he sows in the good soil. Why in the world would you sow all those other places? How many of you, when you plant your garden, plant your sidewalk too? Plant your bushes. Plant everywhere. Just see what happens. It's wasteful. And Jesus even explains this story. He talks about it as the good news. The seed is the gospel, the good news. And the soil represents people's hearts. Puts it in their heart. And if it's a, if it's a hard heart, they won't receive it. And if it's got all kinds of other things going on, it'll sometimes choke it out. But why, Jesus? Why would you put seed in a heart that's hard? Why not spend all your time putting seed into hearts that are wet, ready to receive? This is exactly the argument that the scribes and Pharisees make about Jesus. Why are you spending all this time with children? Why are you spending all this time with people who are cripples, people who are lepers, people who are blind? Why are you spending all this time with the poor? Why are you spending all this time with people who are outcasts in our society? Why don't you spend it with the important people? But Jesus doesn't see people that way. You ever heard a person called a waste of space? You ever heard that phrase? That person's a waste of space. Jesus hung out with wastes of space. He hung out with those people that were not important. That he was wasting his time and the Pharisees couldn't understand. Why would you waste your time with all these people? Jesus wastes all his opportunities, too. Every time Jesus starts getting popular, he starts getting a whole new crowd, he goes off by himself to pray. The strategic move is to start a blog and uh, start a podcast, start preaching on TV, gather up your followers on Twitter. I mean, capitalize on this crowd that you're getting. But Jesus, every time he starts to get people riled up, starts to keep people following him, he leaves to go pray. And he, and he wastes all that effort by our standards. Let's look at one more wasteful story. I'm going to read out of John chapter 12 now. John chapter 12. 
Six days before Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took out a pound of expensive ointment made of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. So Jesus is hanging out in Bethany, something he seems to do a lot. I think he likes Martha's cooking, likes hanging out there. It's sort of his home base for his ministry, so he keeps going back there from time to time. He's heading to the cross. In the Gospel of John, he's going to spend his last week here. It's about a week before he goes to the cross. Mary takes this expensive ointment and begins to use the ointment and her hair to wipe Jesus' feet. This is a strange scene in and of itself, right? Why would you wipe someone's feet? Why would Jesus let a woman wipe his feet? Why would she wipe her feet with his hair? Or wipe his feet with her hair? But the most awkward part of the story that you may not pick up on is how expensive the ointment really is. When you hear 300 denarii, you kind of assume you don't have denarii, right? Uh, you have denaro, you have money. And so um, you think, oh, it's a $300 ball of ointment. Well, that's not true. A denarii is about a day's wage. Okay, it's what a normal worker would make in a day, a one denarii. So 300 denarii, if you take off weekends, right, is about a year's salary. It's about a year's salary for an average person. In the United States right now, the median wage would be $26,695. Okay, let's just round it up. $27,000. Okay. $27,000 for this ointment. Imagine us as a church. We get a donation of $27,000 and somebody says, hey, you know what we need? Ointment for foot washing. Right? That's the plan? That's the plan. We, we're we're going to take $27,000 and we're going to put it in ointment for foot washing. Okay? Judas kind of has a point here, right? Now we know from the text he's got a point because he wants to steal the money. But legitimately, $27,000, we can think of some other uses besides foot washing oil uh, to, to use on this, right? Jeez, I can get you a pedicure for like 50 bucks, right? But we got other options we could do here. What a waste to spend $27,000 on ointment for, for somebody's feet. And yet, by our standards, by the disciples' standards, Jesus appears wasteful. He says, leave her alone. And her extravagant and wasteful act of worship is received as a blessing. It's fine, Jesus says. Jesus is wasteful. He makes too much great wine. He tells stories about wasting seeds and wasting money on parties. He wastes his time on unimportant people. He wastes money on a simple act of worship. We could easily find other moments of wastefulness if we read the text. See, according to the world, Jesus is wasteful. But Jesus isn't of 
the world. Jesus is a part of another kingdom, and that other kingdom has a different economic system, a different value system. And it is not a value system of scarcity. It is a value system of abundance. Listen, we're living in a world right now that has a sense of scarcity. There's not enough money. There's not enough jobs. There's not enough ozone layer. There's not enough uh, everything. There's not enough. There's not enough. What are we going to do? There's this panic that you can see. And I think politics have tapped into it. And the media taps into it. But they didn't start it. It's just where we are as a culture. Even for us. I'm too bad for God to love me. I'm too far gone. I've done too much. If you only knew what I had been through. I'm not worthy of communion because I'm not good enough. But if that's your belief. If you believe that God, God can't take care of you. God can't love you. God can't forgive you. You're in the wrong economy. Because God has so much love. And God has so much grace. And God can take care of you. And God is big enough. He is strong enough. He is bigger. Your God is too small if you think God doesn't love you. You, Your God is too small if you think God can't take care of this situation that you're in. Your God is way too small. And Jesus understands that because He is God. He has so much more goodness and love and sustenance, and grace, and forgiveness, and purpose for you than you could ever dream of. Nothing is wasted for him. So many people think they're so bad that God can't forgive them. Your God is too small. So poor God can't provide. So hurt God can't heal. So broken that God can't put you back together. Your God is too small. But this God has abundance. Jesus knows there's plenty more water. I can make a lot more wine. There's plenty more love. I can, I can share my love with everybody. There's plenty more seed. There's plenty more good news. We're not running out. Give it out. Jesus understands the abundance of this kingdom. And we need to live in this sense of abundance too. It is never a waste to be generous or to care for others. Even if it's not received or appreciated. It's never a waste To have good wine and enjoy the company of others. It's never a waste to care for those who will not care back. This is what has made Christians so different over the generations. The Christians would start orphanages, start hospitals, start a real tradition of adoption and caring for the elderly and the widows because Christians understood that there are not people out there that are a waste. And it is never a waste to care for others. Listen to this great testimony by a man named Dionysius. Dionysius was a pagan scholar who became a Christian and then a bishop in 270 AD. So not that far, way way closer to Jesus than to us. He was a bishop and a pastor and a Christian and and a champion of our faith until his death in 268. And there was this plague that went around when he was when he was a bishop, and this was his testimony. The most of our brethren were unsparing in their exceeding love and brotherly kindness. They held fast to each other and visited the sick fearlessly and ministered to them continually, serving them in Christ. And they died with them most joyfully, taking the affliction of others 
and drawing the sickness from their neighbors to themselves and willingly receiving their pains. But with the heathen, everything was quite otherwise. They deserted those who began to be sick and fled from their dearest friends. And they cast them out into the streets where they were half dead and left them like refuse, unburied. Dionysius, probably himself, died of this plague, ministering to other people. And he said, when I look out and I see Christians, you know what they're, they're doing? They are unsparing in how much they care for these people that most of the world saw as a waste. And most of these Christians died caring for those, while a lot of those who weren't Christians were just throwing people out in the street. As soon as your brother got sick, you tossed him out to make sure you didn't get sick. But Christians were not so wasteful. See, that's living by a different kingdom. That's a kingdom of abundance that says, hey, I may get sick, I may go through a lot, but I know God's kingdom is an abundant kingdom. He's got everything I could ever need, all the love I could ever need. This is the wasteful love of Jesus. May we live with that kind of wasteful and reckless love. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us that spares nothing. That you waste your time on us. That you don't see us as a waste. And we pray that you would continue to work and move in our lives. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.